chapel because I need to get over there and get it started. So, and I'm not very good at running. So, uh, I wanted to just even open up first with why this topic of mental fitness uh, is kind of even big for me, or something that I've really been wrestling with over the last. Uh, year and a half. So last year, I was 315 pounds in August. Yeah. And so it uh, was just got to the point where I was like, man, I, what is the point of life? What, do, what am I doing? And I started to realize and discipline myself uh, in the fitness, you know, health category. And I realized that a lot of my physical health was related to my mental health. And I was a guy who, uh, I, I, my dad growing up was I, I still to this day, I think the first time my dad hugged me was maybe two years after I got married. Um, his way of saying I love you was, you know, just kind of like, hey, you could have done that a little bit better, you know. And so we had a great relationship, but it wasn't that. And uh, that psyche kind of developed in my mind of like, we are men, we are okay, we are the head. And I went with that. And then I started having family and kids and my wife, and it just you know, job, different things, and my physical body started changing, and that was where I was like, hey, you know what, I need to get my mental health in order a little bit, and realizing that it's okay to not be okay, and to open up and to talk to people about it, Uh, because I'd go home and have such self-doubt and insecurity and uh, self-deprecation, and I thought that those are just things that, you know, was kind of normal. And so it's crazy when, and it is normal, and when you talk about it, right, it actually becomes more normal and you can actually deal with it. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is just like that being part of community, how God created us in a sense of community, um, that when we address mental health in the form of a community, it's such a healthy way of doing it. And so uh, we as the body of Christ, uh need to address mental health. And so I just want to start off with what is mental health so we're all on the exact same page. So mental health includes our thoughts, our feelings, and our emotion, but it also is affected by our physical health, our brain, our nervous system, and even our gut. Because we are all created as humans and we live in this fallen world, it is perfectly normal and natural for us to experience brokenness in the area of mental health, okay? And so over the last few decades, mental health has become a topic of a lot of discussion and uh, debate among a wide spectrum of the population. And of course, mental health is huge in the area of our spiritual, emotional, and even scientific concern. But the Bible has a whole lot to offer uh, when we talk about the mind. And so we want to start with the obvious question of what is the mind? What is the difference between the mind and the brain based on what we learn from Scripture? Are they basically synonymous? Or are they completely different? Or are they, are they even you know, interrelated in some way? So we're going to kind of talk about that. So from a committed Bible perspective, the difference between the mind and the brain are typically understood in the framework of the body, the soul, and the spirit relationship. So Bible-believing Christians, we affirm the existence of both the mind and the brain, but we view them as distinct different entities, and they have unique functions and origins. So I want to address some of those key 
differences briefly. So first, the brain. The brain, of course, is a physical organ that is inside of our noggin. It's the super complex uh, biological kind of supercomputer that is responsible for processing information, controlling our bodily functions, and generating our thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. And see, because God created us as these holistic beings uh, with three major parts, right? We have the body, the soul, and the spirit. The study of the human brain is a great evidence of God's creative genius. The more that we study the brain and its functions, the more we get just a glimpse into how amazing God is. We recognize how significant in how we perceive and interact with the world around us. But we have to understand the brain uh, as a physical instrument in distinction from its primary source of our consciousness itself. So in essence, the brain is like the hardware supercomputer that God designed, and the mind is more of like the software right, of the source of that human conscious. So if you guys understand that, a little bit different. So hardware, software, kind of with computer. We'll jump back to that in a second. So with that in mind, whereas the brain is physical, we understand that the mind is in this non-physical aspect of the human design. So again, our mind is our source of self-awareness. It's our thought process. It's our reasoning. It's our emotion. It's the capacity to make moral and ethical choices and decisions. See, in fact, that's one of the main differences between humans and other animals is the ability to make a choice based on morality instead of just pure instinct. Animals can certainly feel emotion. I think we've all known that, but they cannot willingly subject themselves to not, you know, do, to do a moral choice in the same way that humans can, right? Their instincts kind of always takes over. I'm not a Greek scholar or nothing like that, but the Greek word for soul, right, is suka, which we get our English word psyche from, which gets into, you know, the root word of our psychology or the study of our mind. And this is part of the talk uh, where we kind of want to jump into the mind as part of our soul, where our thoughts are processed, and where our sense of identity and individuality resides. And this is where a lot of us start to struggle with some of that mental health issues. And the Bible teaches us that human beings are both physical and non-physical, both material and immaterial. So the body is the material part of us, and our soul and spirit are the immaterial part of us. Paul prayed for the Thessalonians in the following way in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 23, may your whole spirit, soul, body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrew, he identifies the distinct difference between the spirit and the soul in Hebrews 4:12. for the word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and the spirit, of the joints and the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and interactions of our heart. 
So at the moment of salvation, we got to witness that yesterday morning for some guys. At the moment that we trust Christ, our spiritual dimension, our human spirit that is born with us, the one that is married by sin that we inherited from Adam is crucified with Christ and raised to new life. That's why Paul refers to us as the new creation. See, we are not physically crucified with Christ, but spiritually crucified with him. So we can live forever as brand new creations that no longer are corrupted by sin in the realm of our spirit. And see, now it's important to realize that while not every part of us has been, re- that every part of us has been redeemed through the cross and the resurrection, the spirit is immediately transformed into perfection and united with the Holy Spirit at the moment we put our trust in Christ. We struggle sometimes as, as men especially and we say, man, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. And one thing that someone talked to me once and it, it's really resonated with me through kind of my mental health stuff is that I am a saint who sometimes sins and just changing my perspective of that. And knowing that even right now as a 39-year-old, I go home to my parents' house, I open the front door, I can walk straight into the refrigerator and grab something. I have refrigerator rights at my parents' house (laughs) to this day. As a son of God, we have refrigerator rights to the kingdom, right? We are attached to him immediately, right? And so that's why uh, Paul in Corinthians and 1 Corinthians 1.17 says, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. One. We have that refrigerator rights forever, right? The results of this aspect of our salvation are instant. The second that we give our lives to Christ, our spirit, the moment we receive him is in union with him. We are heaven ready. No improvements needed because of his full work on the cross. Amen. Our bodies and souls are also redeemed through faith in Jesus Christ, but in a slightly different way. Our physical bodies will be raised from dead, right, at the return of Jesus Christ when the Lord descends from heaven and a shout of rapture for his church, right? Later in 1 Corinthians, Paul shares to us the following in, verse, in uh, chapter 15, verses 51 through 53. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all be asleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed, for the imperishable will be clothed itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortal." So at the future resurrection, our mortal bodies will be taken to immorality, right? But until then, that day through, our, through the physical uh, resurrection is guaranteed and promised by Jesus and the apostles, we live in these present ailing bodies until death and the return of Jesus Christ, Right, amen. I'm sore. My body is ailing just from doing dodgeball last night. If you ask me, the cop commander said, "Raise your hand." It's not happening. I'm getting shot. 
So the spirit is redeemed and perfected instantly, united forever with the spirit of Christ. The body is presently decaying and is subject to the future promise of the resurrection of immorality to eternal life, which leaves us the question of our soul, the seat of our mind, and ultimately our emotions and our wills. And it's important to realize that the soul is not evil any more than the body is evil because it hasn't yet been experienced that full transformation. And Jesus redeems all of us, every part of us at the cross, at the resurrection. But our soul is the realm in which we are presently undergoing all kinds of growth, maturity, transformation as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's a process. Jesus, God, is a relational being. And as those who are created in his image, we are relational beings. And the soul is the realm in which we are constantly growing, or perhaps not growing. I was thinking of this concept as I was preparing for this. We never drift towards Jesus or towards good, right? It's constantly the drift away. I feel like life is kind of this like escalator like in the mall, but going the other way. Have you ever done that as a kid? Like you try to go up the escalator on the other side. If you stop at all, you're just going backwards, right? Just to kind of stay at the same spot, you got to just keep going. If you ever want to excel, you kind of got to run up those things. That kind of feels like life sometimes, that we really have to be growing and really growing our relationship with Christ, others, and ourselves. This is why the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's in Romans 12, 2. So at salvation, through faith in Jesus Christ, we are instantly transformed in the dimension of our spirit. That's past. It's a done deal. It's already fully happened. But also at salvation, through faith in Jesus Christ, we receive the promise that our future bodies will be fully resurrected. And that future dimension of our salvation will come when Jesus comes again. Amen. But also at salvation, through faith in Jesus Christ, we begin this relational process with God in which he desires to lead us into the maturity realm of our soul or our minds and our emotions and our wills as we learn to trust and walk with him more fully. This is the present aspect of our salvation. And we have been transformed in our spirit the moment we believe And we will be transformed in our physical bodies at the moment Christ returns. And we are beginning transformation from the utter nightmare of living without Jesus, right, as the Lord of our minds and our emotions and our will. Now, with all that kind of said, the realm of our mind affecting our emotions and our will is the subject of this seminar. And its ongoing transformation happens to the degree that our minds are being renewed. And so what does that look like? And how does that impact us in the real world where we experience anxiety, depression, anger, the sense of identity, confusion, these thoughts that when we close our eyes, if we're honest with ourselves, kind of affect every single one of us. 
throughout the word of Jesus uh, or the word of our Lord, we are encouraged in the fact that we are not islands unto ourselves. That, yo, we are unique individuals, all different. We are part of a community called the body of Christ. And we've seen that here this weekend, that we come from very different places, right? We are one, a glimpse of heaven this weekend. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. And as a part of that communal body, we are interdependent on God working through other parts of Christ's body in our lives, hence the wisdom of receiving wise help from other people. All of us experience a variety of challenges, struggles, and wounds. I'm not even, I can't even list, we'd be in here all day, of just what those could be. But every single one of those requires wisdom, guidance, and healing. And if we truly understand the value of being part of Christ's body of believers, it's important for us to seek counsel and support from others who are gifted and trained in the area of offering that wisdom, that guidance, and that healing. Just as you might seek out physical help from someone to train your body physically, and like I said, this is where this kind of came into my mind, was I was 350 pounds. I couldn't do this myself. And it was very easy for me to say, hey, look, I'm kind of a fat slob, and I need help. And then I had dietitians and people in the gym. And that was fine. It was like, yeah, obviously. But over here in this realm of my mental health, I was not willing to be honest and say, I needed a trainer. I needed a dietitian for my brain. It's like, no, I'm a man. I could do it myself and memorize these two verses and you will be good, right? And that just wasn't the it. So there's wisdom in pursuing mental care and fitness as well. And so that's kind of why I've shifted this idea of mental health to mental fitness. Just like we train our bodies, we need to train our minds. And so for the remainder of our time, I just want to share a few thoughts through scripture about pursuing mental fitness with the help of others in the body of Christ. So uh, mental fitness in the body of Christ, five realities. want to go through those with you guys right now. And I think each and every one of you hits one of these categories. So number one, it is wise to seek counsel. It is wise to seek counsel. Proverbs eleven fourteen tells us, where there is no guidance, people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is safety. See, in his wisdom, God designed us for community for connection. And it's important to embrace the fact that seeking counsel is not a sign of weakness, but is an acknowledgement of our interdependence upon others within the body. It's how God made us. See, thankfully, the church has uh, moved a lot past this area of resistance of seeking help with counseling and Christ-centered therapy in addressing our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups. Back in the day, the church Christians, <coughs> excuse me, would often want to blame every problem on a demonic activity. And while I want to state that I fully believe that the demonic realm exists, and I do believe that some of those problems, many of those problems are rooted in a form of spiritual attack, but 30, 40 years ago, many Christians thought that 
getting uh, psychological help or therapy and addressing mental problems was just purely demonic, and that's just not the case. There are many, many, many examples in scriptures of people who are deeply loving God yet suffer from mental struggles. A believer who is battling with anxiety or depression or anger or any one of the host of different other things that could be presented in this room is not necessarily under direct spiritual attack. Many of our mental health battles we face are spiritual in nature, but not every single one of them. Many of them are connected to our unhealthy thinking patterns based on past issues of shame, guilt, fear, etc. And some of our mental struggles can be connected to a chemical imbalance in the brain, which affects our mood, our attitudes, our behaviors. I've jumped into this even further. We adopted our oldest son from Guinea, West Africa, nine years ago. And he is struggling mentally just for things that were, are chemically different, that he missed some of those formative years of having loving parents and stuff like that. And so not all of it lives in the spiritual realm. While some of it can, though. Uh, so I want to say that there's complexities that should not be oversimplified by just telling someone, like, yeah, memorize these two verses and call me in the morning, right? Sometimes we just do that, like, and I'll just pray for you. I'll just keep praying for you. It's like, yeah, that, that's great, right? And, and the word of God is powerful for mental transformation. And the objective truth of Scripture uh, you know, is amazing, and the gospel specifies is the key for mental fitness for every believers. But I know many who love God and love Scripture, memorize, but yet still struggle with mental challenges and can feel crippled and debilitating by that. And that is why seeking counsel, right, when you're experiencing these things is not the defeat right? It, it just shows that you shouldn't feel defeated because, man, I know all these scriptures. Like, why, like, why is this thing? And that's kind of where I was, I was like, God, I don't understand. Like, I've been a pastor for 18 years before I took this job, like, five weeks ago. And it was just like, why am I struggling with this? Like, I know your word, you know? And it kind of felt like, is something not right in my spiritual life? You know, because I kind of have that downloaded to my hardware and it was, a, or my software, and it was affecting my hardware. And so that's number one. Number two is wisdom giving and teaching our spiritual gift. There are guys in this room that have the gift of teaching and giving wisdom. So many within the body of Christ are called to function according to spiritual or specific gifts of teaching and guiding others, right? The gift of wisdom is a precious work of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ, and some are called to that ministry of counseling, whether it be voluntarily or non-voluntary and doing it vocationally, right? There are numerous people who love Jesus passionately and are trained counselors and therapists who work hard to guide people through this intersection of both physiological, you know, and psychological struggles, and we want to thank God for them, not throw stones at them, right? It's important to understand that counseling is not a new thing. 
inside the body of Christ. In fact, one of the titles for Jesus himself is Wonderful Counselor, right, out of the book of Isaiah. So ultimately, the difference between Christian counseling and non-Christian counseling is this critical uh, dimension of leading people to a greater trust and dependence upon Christ in their life. Of course, counseling and therapy can be um, you know, helpful for anybody regardless of whether they've trusted in Christ, but counseling that is rooted in the core realities of the gospel is going to be particularly powerful because we learn, we're learning to trust more thoroughly in God who actually designed us and redeemed us, right, in his own immersive sacrifice. Thirdly, there is power in confession and accountability. The half-brother of Jesus the Apostle James encourages us the following in James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And one of the most powerful things about counseling is that it creates a safe, confidential space where we could share our struggles, confess our sins and receive loving correction without feeling condemned, especially as men, right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So the purpose of counseling is to help us see the things that we might otherwise be blind. We all have blind spots in our lives and to work through solutions together that we may bring healing to our relationship with others, ourselves, and ultimately with God. One of my favorite quotes, I would, I would tell you the guy who said it, but I don't remember who it was, but it stuck with me forever. As believers, the most important thing about our psyche is our, our uh, psychology is our theology. As believers, the most important thing about our psychology is our theology. See, and it draws the attention to many unfortunate realities that many of our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups are rooted in false ideas about God. And we pick these false ideas up along the road of our life in many different ways, from our family origins to the message that we get from culture to the secret uh, lives that we live that drive us into isolation and even, sadly, sometimes the church itself. Some churches simply do not teach the Bible in context, but instead treat it like this self-help book of rules filled with good advice to become a better version of yourself. And while becoming a better version of yourself may feel the noble intentions to the point uh, the Bible is not to make you a better version of yourself, but to reveal what it means to live completely as a new creation, totally forgiven, cleansed by the blood of Christ, walking with a mind that is submitted to the truths of the gospel. We are a saint who sometimes sins. 
So when we receive counsel, we have this safe context in which to confess our weaknesses, to receive wisdom and guidance, and ultimately experience healing. Fourth, renewing the mind is the goal of mental fitness. Renewing the mind is the goal of mental fitness. Again, I read it earlier in Romans, explains that we experience transformation by the renewing of our mind. And part of this process is learning to address the past wounds, uncover unhealthy thought patterns, and develop a new perspective that is in line with God's relied truth, right? Not the things that we can think. Renewing our mind involves replacing the old thoughts with new thoughts, false thoughts with true thoughts. The Apostle Paul shares with us in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And there is so much hope in that reality, that as we learn to replace the false thinking with true thinking, we are fulfilling the words of that verse. We cannot control every single thought that enters our mind because we live in a world that is constantly filling us stimuli that affects us. Martin Luther King said it well. He said, I cannot prevent a bird from flying over my head, but I can prevent it from building a nest in my hair. So we can control every thought that, we cannot control every thought that enters our mind, but we can control what to do with those thoughts and how to respond to those thoughts. When a false thought or thinking pattern that is not aligned with what God revealed truth is comes flooding into our minds, we can develop the ability to take that thought captive. In other words, we don't let it run wild. We identify it. We subject it to what God has already revealed to us is true. For example, one of the things that I've tried to employ in my life as I am doing this, and by no means am I a mental health expert at all. This is just stuff that I've been working through in the last year of my life. And so one of the things is that is uh, when I encounter a thought process that is defeating or rooted in temptation or evil or ungodliness and it's starting to make me anxious and depressed or angry, I simply try to ask myself, what lie am I believing when I entertain those thoughts? What lie of the world, what lie of Satan am I entertaining when I believe those thoughts? See, the brain is a computer itself. And the mind is the software. We know the importance of continually having software updates, of replacing old, out-of-date stuff with the new and true stuff, right? If you have an iPhone at all, you're constantly updating your software. We have to renew that with our minds, right? Our brain, our noggin, that's staying. We have the old iPhone 7, but we have the newest software. We have to renew our minds 
with that. Replace the old out-of-date stuff with the new and true stuff. And over time, the positive snowball effect begins to have this transformational impact on how we view the world. And suddenly, where we're beginning to see things that once triggered us to start losing uh, control, they start to lose their power. And we start to notice it become something that makes us feel a certain way. We can subject those thoughts through Christ and his work on the cross. So a critical skill that we develop is to stop and to realize that our feelings, as important as they are, they do not determine our reality. And they certainly do not define us. And finally, this last one I want you guys to kind of just jot down if you're taking notes. is that faith in Christ is transformational for mental health or mental fitness. Now, as I mentioned earlier, there are many people who receive help from therapy and counseling. Regardless of their spiritual beliefs, the best scenario that I've encountered in my own life in counseling and even discipling others are when truthful, wise counsel interacts with a deep experience of the love of God. And when I say the most important thing about our psychology is our theology, our belief in God, we are affirming that the personal experience, the love of God in our own lives is the anchor of every single thing else. In fact, one of the most passionate and powerful prayers that is recorded in Scripture is the Apostle Paul, and he writes this in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. And I pray to you, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all that God's the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Listen, simply believing the right facts about God in and of itself is not necessarily the magical pill that's going to cure your depression or your anxiety. You can believe the right things and still struggle mentally and emotionally. You may have been deeply embedded wounds that need to be addressed. You may have deep hidden struggles that you need to confess you may have chemical imbalances or, or injured hardware in the brain that is causing this malfunction or a dysfunction in your life. And you need more than a set of theological facts to address those. See, an outcome to that is this. If you do believe wrong facts about God and you build your life on false assumptions rooted in spiritual abuse, legalism, condemnation, wounds from the past, 
and all the other trappings of man-made religion. I guarantee it will only add to your anxiety and your depression and the struggles as well. And so like I said, I don't have all the answers. This is something that I'm struggling with myself. And this is a, a topic that there's a mirror right here that I'm just rehearsing this to myself. But just to kind of summarize, it is wise to seek counsel. When I was 315 pounds, I said, I need help. I can't do it. I had someone cook my meals for me for six months. I had someone who told me every piece of steel to pick up in the gym. And guess what? There was transformation in my life because I said, I obviously can't do it myself. But then I'd go home at night and lay my head down and my brain was just just a 315 pound fat guy and I'd say, I can do it myself. I could do it myself. And it wasn't working. We are not meant to do that, men. It is wise to seek counsel. It is wise to seek help. I don't know if you guys came up here with your church or you came individually, but I guarantee that there's people inside of your church that you guys could seek counsel to. And if there's not, I know there's people in your church that will point you in the right direction. And just have it be based in the word. Just have it be based in Christ. He redeems everything. And then there's some of you guys in this room that are maybe thinking of someone else that you came here, not for yourself, but maybe someone else that you know is struggling mentally. Man, wisdom giving and teaching our spiritual gift, that is your spiritual gift. Are you holding it from the body? Are you that ripped dude in the gym that won't help anybody? You're just like, no, I got it. I'm yoked. You could do your own thing, right? If you're not one that has habits, hangups, and hurts, which if we're all honest, all of us do at some point, right? Some of you guys struggled with a lot of this stuff and you beat it. Share it, right? Give life. Speak truth over those people. Remember where you were in that darkness. Say, hey, there's hope. You, put your faith in Jesus Christ. I know you're struggling mentally, but guess what? You're redeemed, right? Instantly in that moment, Mind, yep, we have to work on that. Yeah, but Christ is working in that, right? And there is power in confession and accountability. Create a space for yourself. Create a group. I love, I've already heard this week that there's a few guys that's like, there was one guy, I don't even know if you're in here, sorry if you are, and it was a secret. Now it's not. Um, I just said, I would not be here this year if it wasn't for a group of guys that I met here last year. He was open, honest, and vulnerable last year. He sought accountability. He confessed. He sought wise counsel. And guess what? He's still here. And Christ is going to redeem him mentally. Right? Physically, yeah, he's, yeah, he's going to be with Christ. But the Lord's working on his mind. There's power in that, guys. And then renewing our mind is the goal of mental fitness of mental health, every single one of us. Because guess what, right? Like I said, we have to do new software updates all the time, every single one of us. There's some OGs in this room, right? You guys have to be doing that same thing. I I know you guys are like, who's this young cat up here telling me what to do? Like, the world is constantly creating new software. 
And they're trying, they're, they have that malware like crazy, right? They're trying to download that to you guys. And we have to counteract that. I have a dear friend of mine. She helps out with um, kind of the idea of cyber uh, safety for students. And uh, she works with the FBI and stuff like that. And the FBI is two to three months behind like the sexual predators and stuff like that that are on the internet. So they have these new methods. The FBI is two to three months. These guys that are geniuses that have all this access to all these mega computers, they're two to three months behind the sexual predators. They have to keep changing their software because their methods keep changing. If the human evil is changing their methods, what about the devil? Right? When he's trying to attack us, do you think he's just saying, well, I'm going to keep the same methods always to attack these new generation of men? No. He's crafty like a serpent. And guess what? We have to change our methods and enter new software to combat that all the time. So OG's in the room, youngest person in the room, we all have to do in that new software. And faith in Christ is transformational. I don't know. There might be a guy in this room that is struggling with the thought that hasn't put their faith in Jesus Christ. Like I said, there's great non-biblical counseling, but you're kind of chasing your tail. True mental fitness will only come through Christ, will only come through the cross. And so that would be my challenge to you guys today, right after this, tomorrow. The guy who you came with, the one who you don't know who's next to you, just say, I've been trying to do this by myself. And I can't do this by myself. And I need help. And I need your help, but I need God's help. I need his work on the cross in my life. And so each of us play such an important role and mental fitness. And if we treated it just like the gym, where it was a badge of honor, yeah, I woke up at six this morning, went to the gym, right? Let's start doing mental fitness that way too. Like, yeah, I went to therapy today. I sought counsel, right? Yeah, be open about it. Because like I said, in a room this size with this many people, we all have habits, hangups. If we got open and honest with ourselves right now and just said, hey, let's stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up, it'd be like, wow but we feel so isolated. We're not. I remember God has redeemed you. You are renewing your mind. But these habits, hang-ups, and everything that we struggle with is, while albeit not normal, is common. Right? Seek help. Seek counsel. Can I pray for you guys? Dearly Father, we thank you for your son's work on the cross. Lord, we acknowledge that we live in this fallen world where we have decaying bodies, but we know the fact that one day you will return. We trust that fact, and we know that we will be redeemed to glory. And that we have those refrigerator rights, that we are a son of the God who sits on the throne. And when sometimes our mind and this world tells us other things, that we're useless, that we're trash, that we shouldn't even be here. 
you say, that is my son. That is an integral part of the body. And that is mine. Lord, let us renew our software daily. Let us look at your word for that truth. Let us not install false software. Lord, I thank you that you've given us and you've created us as a community. Let us lean upon each other on the foundation of you. Lord, this group of men, if we can take these thoughts captive and believe these truths, what is the ripple effect that we could have in our families, our churches, and our communities? Lord, we thank you that you are the God of our whole entire body, even our thoughts late at night. Redeem those thoughts. Transform those thoughts. Lord, we give this over to you in your name we pray. Amen.